Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. Today, we're joined by Mike Jackson, fellow of the American Institute of Architects, a designation for individuals that have been named a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. That's a mouthful. Mr. Jackson is a Springfield, Illinois based architect and a visiting professor of architecture at the University of Illinois, Urbana Champaign. He led the architectural division of the Illinois Historic Preservation Agency for more than 30 years and now champions the development of the Technology Heritage Library. Mike Jackson, welcome to GreenSense. Happy to be here. And uh, I tell people often that I've lived in Chicago for a year, three days at a time, uh, because for the years that I worked for the state of Illinois as the preservation architect, I was there frequently on uh, monthly trips. So I'm very familiar with a lot of different neighborhoods in Chicago. Well, Chicago is one of the U.S. cities that has a fantastic architecture spanning many decades. And if any of our listeners have not visited the city or live in the city, take that architectural tour. It'll give you a deep appreciation of the city's architecture. Big picture, Mike. Very simple. Why do we preserve old buildings? Well, I think the general answer that people start with is a cultural role. You know, they identified with something of the past. I live in Springfield, Illinois, where we have Abe Lincoln's home. And that's kind of where historic preservation got its start. The homes of some founding father of our country, basically, that was recognized, you know, whether it's Mount Vernon and George Washington's place or Lincoln's home or Grant's home in Galena. So that's where historic preservation started, identifying a place that connected to a famous individual. It's now a much broader way to say, how do we identify places that tell the story of American civilization through the places that we built and we connect to those places. They could be uh, a boat, it could be a landscape, it can be an object even, a piece of sculpture in a way. So, or largely it's historic districts and uh, Chicago has a great number of historic districts that uh, have some great architecture in them. In fact, the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago is one of the largest historic districts in the country with more than 5,000 buildings. Not all old buildings are worth saving or rehabbing. We see lots of blight in communities uh, in inner cities. What's the criteria to determine if a building is worth saving or just old and ready to be demolished? Sure. Uh, there's a number of criteria that go into a designation of an historic building. One is obviously its integrity. Does it still have the character that it had when it became famous or was occupied by someone famous or in the past design integrity. So there's integrity to it. There's how does that integrity stack up to its peers? You know, how many are there, there of this? If there's thousands of this same old building, it's less important than if it's a unique design by an architect with a distinguished career. So there's a range of things that go into that. And uh, you know, years ago, the uh, director of the Historic Preservation Agency was a former college professor. He was the head of the DNR. And he once said that the uh, hearings for what makes a building historic in Illinois was the most intellectual thing happened that happened in state government. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a telling equation that, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into what makes something historic. What is the decision process for determining if a building should be rehabbed versus historic preservation or renovation? I'd say the, the criteria for if it's historic establishes the goal that if it meets the criteria of being uh, eligible for a listing, a designation at the local or even the city level, then it's met at a, a threshold that says it's worth preserving. 
But I think the, the big distinction that's coming here is there are buildings that are preserved to be accurate replicants of the past or representations of the past, Abe Lincoln's home to do that. It's supposed to look like it did in 1861, the day Abe walked out of there. Uh, whereas a building that's designated because it represents a pattern of time in the past or a pattern of architecture, and it's one of many, there could be other things that can be changed about that. So upgrading things that are relatively invisible uh, are part of the equation. We, we rarely see a designated uh, house that has its original 1860 kitchen. They almost always have a 1960 kitchen or later because those kitchens have about a 25 year lifespan. So you rarely find a, an old building with an authentic original component that's that early. So we know that houses and buildings change over time and the preservation world manages change. It's not about freezing things, it's about managing change. Mike, I can see you're very passionate about this subject. Where does your passion come from? Actually, I grew up just south of Galena, Illinois. And growing up as a kid, I actually worked on projects in downtown Galena. So I, I got my passion for historic preservation growing up there. I went to the University of Illinois and I got to study in Europe for a year, which led me to think about a lot of old buildings. And I also am reminded that uh, my college career got me to be on Earth Day number one in April of 1970. I was on the quad at the Champaign campus uh, flying a green and white flag that we made to celebrate Earth Day. And I still have it as a, a personal family or personal memento of my college days and my early commitment to the green movement. That's fantastic. Speaking of international work, how does Chicago compare to other cities when it comes to rehab or restoration? Well, I think, first of all, we know that Chicago has a great architectural community. So from that standpoint, there's a huge amount of people there that are committed to the practice of architecture. In fact, I have a lot of friends who live in Oak Park. Oak Park even has the Oak Park Architectural League because there's about 300 people that are architects that live in Oak Park. So again, great legacy of people there, firms over time from Frank Lloyd Wright to Mies van der Rohe. So Chicago stacks up pretty high in the world of architecture. But for preservation, you know, it's early in getting its involvement with preservation with the city commission and Illinois coming along. But uh, I, I will say that in terms of the eco movement and tying historic preservation and ecology, I look to the work that's going on with uh, Historic Scotland. Actually, they call themselves Historic Environment Scotland and English Heritage, which I both think are kind of ahead of the US in terms of integrating the philosophy and, and technical practices of good ecology with historic preservation. They've had a little longer to practice than we did. They had a bit of a head start. Yeah, I've always thought I would like to join SPAB, the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, which is in England and started in the 1870s. And it's kind of like the first uh, preservation organization in the world. GreenSense focuses on cost-effective, sustainable innovation. What are the environmental and economic benefits of rehabbing or restoring buildings? Well, actually, it's funny. When I got started in the preservation, I obviously understood the sort of ecology side. But I think where it really hit for me is when we started to look at the, how to make a technical argument that reusing a building is green, it kind of got us into the idea of embodied energy and what does it take to make a building and how much energy goes into that. And so that really led to a whole discussion and evolution of uh, how do we rank and create 
criteria for measuring how green a building is. And there's a whole number of green building rating systems now, and they're relatively weak on giving a lot of value to existing buildings. So I think that's one of their deficits. They've, they've evolved strongly as tools for measuring new construction, but haven't probably adequately put the same value in there to building reuse. Uh, the English say it best in, in their one of their green home rating systems, and they basically go that the uh, benefit of reusing a, a building component intact is far greater than reusing than replacing it with something new. So if it's already there and you can use it, there's no way that it can be better to replace it. You know, and I'm talking about the physical fabric of a building, not necessarily issues of energy uh, use in terms of equipment. A lot of these old buildings uh, can have some serious environmental challenges. They could have contaminants or building materials that we found later to be dangerous to human health and the environment. Some of those are lead pipes, underground storage tanks, asbestos, mold, and maybe some hazardous chemicals. How are those dealt with when you're restoring or rehabbing a building? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of rare for a super contaminated thing to be the historic component. So I would say that there's very few cases of projects that I worked on where you basically could say there was no way that this building could work because it was too contaminated. There are buildings that are too structurally deteriorated to be economically uh, reusable. Uh, case in point being a big building that was built with beach sand and it was a concrete building. Well, all the steel was rusting inside the concrete reinforcing, you know, just there are some impossible situations like that. But a lot of things that were contaminants were containable and removable. And, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes it's used as too easy an excuse. I, I know a project where somebody said, I, I had to tear the house down because it had mold in it. And, you know, it's, there's, there's mold everywhere. There's no legal definition of a mold threshold because nobody can agree on it. Uh, so, you know, there are times when we can, we can manage stuff like that. Uh, even asbestos floor tile, isn't particularly hazardous and still exists in a lot of existing buildings because it's not airborne. So being contaminated and being unmanageable are two different things. Uh, what about lead pipes? There's a lot of money in the- uh, Yeah, uh, and that's totally valid. Yes. Totally valid to be replacing the lead pipes in, and that doesn't have to destroy the building. You know, That basically is a water system supply issue more than anything. And in my work, we actually did a publication on lead paint safety and historic preservation because historic preservationists were actually some of the people that sometimes were harming themselves by doing bad practices in paint removal in their houses. So uh, we kind of got on top of that back in the 1990s. You grew up in Galena, Illinois. And for those who have not been there, it's a wonderful town that has preserved its historic past and maintain the older buildings uh, very well. Talk a little bit about that and how that influenced you. Well, yeah, it, it has one of the most intact mid 19th century main streets in America. And it's like a, you know, a 10 block wall long main street, buildings on both sides, three to five stories. And it, the, the street curves along the side of the hill and it's just a very wonderful dense urban landscape that's well-preserved by basically the strange prosperity that then folded slowly, failed slowly, but they never got rid of things. And in fact, one of my acquaintances up there was part of the opponents to urban renewal. There was actually a proposal in the 1960s to tear down two blocks of the downtown to build a shopping center. And he championed uh, opposing that, Citizens Against Urban Renewal in downtown Galena. Thank 
uh, I'm glad he prevailed because uh, they're, they don't have that downtown there and they've kept their buildings and uh, it's an, a great attraction. But there's like everything else, there's a constant need to maintain buildings. And so that's part of the, the, the issue of everywhere. Maintaining and keeping things intact is a, an obligation to the future. And that's kind of what preservation is. You're, you're stewards of a building through your time of occupancy to keep it going for the next generation. Let's bring this around to our listeners. Not everyone is a preservation specialist like yourself. What resources are available for the homeowner to tap into? That's, that's actually a good question because I'm working with the technical side on the commercial side. And for homeowners, the issue of where do I find the single best source for how to fix my historic home is hard. And I actually point people to the stuff that historic English Heritage has been doing. They actually have a great website for historic homeowners and most of it's applicable to America where it's uh, how to plug in, I need a window, what efficiency is it? So they've done a better job. There isn't a single place like that in the American system for the the, the do-it-yourself approach. And I, I think what we're doing greatly though is we're expanding the capacity at the building trade side and at the construction industry to help identify how to do it. And that's both good and bad because the homeowners sometimes need someone to help them judge the professional that's charging them for money to do something and what's the best practice in that. So I would say hire a good preservation professional would be the best advice for a homeowner who has an historic house. And how do you find these resources? Well, Landmarks Illinois which is the statewide advocacy organization, has a directory on their website and it's landmarks.org. So Landmarks is really the statewide group that promotes historic preservation. And that was one of their innovations they developed some years ago was a directory of people with special expertise in preservation practices, both materials and the framework for that in terms of professionals. What common information should the public also know when it comes to preservation? Well, I'm gonna kind of, put this in two realms. There's kind of historic preservation as a designated official building that's got status and recognized. But I think for most homeowners, it's really about keeping their building as it is and respecting its history and then renovating it appropriately. So for most owners who are not designated historic, they still wanna continuously invest and improve their building. Again, making it more energy efficient, modernizing their kitchens and bathrooms, which is still one of the huge parts of the construction trade industry. And then doing so in a manner that's both good for the ecology, good for the economy, and good for the way in which they wanna have their house showcase their life. If you love historic buildings and you love preservation, what can people do to support these actions? Well, obviously be a member of an organization and Landmarks Illinois is the statewide advocacy group. The National Trust for Historic Preservation is the national organization. Even though I'm very active with the Association for Preservation Technology, it's more the organization of the technical professionals within that field. Uh, I also have taught and expand that. Uh, there's also preservation education and uh, there's frequent activities in the Chicago area. Landmarks Illinois has lunchtime lecture series downtown. School of the Art Institute has a preservation program that does programming. And obviously the Chicago Commission on Landmarks does other things to support and promote preservation in the city. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I just, I'd say that my final thought is that uh, 
Historic buildings are renewable resources. So we've heard a lot about renewables and that you know, we're gonna be a fossil fuel free society in the future. Uh, and I think uh, we should think about the existing built environment as something to retrofit and respect rather than think that we could replace every building in America. And that's not a, a formula for sustainability. So we've got to retrofit our way to sustainability, not replace everything. Those are great closing words from today's guest, Mike Jackson, fellow of the American Institute of Architects. I'm Robert Colangelo. This is GreenSense. Visit greensensefarms.com to learn more about the show and to subscribe to the podcast. Listen to the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago. A big thanks goes to producers Mike Sanders and Julia Shu. Dana Daywood, Social Media Manager and Executive Assistant, Angela Surdy. This show is produced by GreenSense Farms Holdings, all rights reserved.